0: When we're trying to form a new way of understanding God, which is a God of abundance, a God of generosity, and a God of inclusion, there's a horrible uh, anguish about norming this new experience. They tried to brand your skin. They tried to take your...
1: Hello there. Welcome back to the Can I Say This at Church podcast. I'm Seth, your host, as usual, and I'm glad that you're here. Thanks for downloading. I don't want to do any announcements because I'll do those at the end. (laughs) That way, if you want to check out, you can. I'm very excited for this conversation. So, Alexander John Shia is back on the show. He's always one of my favorites. We talk about baptism, and the context of it is slightly different, and you'll hear me kind of tell the story of that as we get going. But Without further ado, let's make this thing happen. you in the company of the keepers of the flame burn You got that fire inside your eyes. You felt the lightning strike, you seen behind the skies, and you're still standing. Alexander, welcome back to the show um
0: God Seth I've been looking forward to this
1: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I have as well yeah yeah very much so I um yeah I I cherish our relationship I really enjoy that I have a I have you as a sounding board when needed so but um welcome good morning good good afternoon for you It's afternoon good right?
0: afternoon yes <laughs> uh, yes for everybody you can't see I'm in Spain and uh it's, it's roughly one 30 in the afternoon and lunch here starts at three o'clock. So I'm fine. I just, I just had my second cup of
1: coffee. <laughs> I'm on my second cup. I'm going to try and I do my best to not have the swallow sounds in this. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, what has been new? I don't even remember the last time that we recorded. It's been some time. I don't, but I don't remember when we recorded that. Um, what is, what is new for you and say it was before the pandemic. So what is new for you?
0: Well, what's new is that I got, I was in Spain under lockdown last year for hundred days uh, and lockdown here meant you couldn't go outside of your house. Mm. If you needed food or medicine, you called the police and they delivered it to you. Mm. Um, and then I really discovered that I wanted to live here. And so I came back to the States and went through the process to get a a residency visa, which is one year at a time. And I have just, just, just as of two days ago, gotten my national identity card, which makes me an official one year resident of Spain.
1: How much trouble is it to get renewed every year? Because I know how much trouble you went through to get that to begin with.
0: Uh, talk to me in six months. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm told. I'm told not much, but I don't trust that.
1: <laughs> so Spain intoxicated you while it kept you because of a pandemic.
0: It did. It, one of the things that I love here are, is the care of, for people for each other. Mm. Um, I, I have to adjust to the fact that when I go to a store. And people here still are lining up to go into a store. There's still restrictions about the number of people to go into a store. Um, people look at my gray hair and they step aside. Hmm. I, I'm not used to that. Yeah, I'm not used to thinking of myself as, as having reached a certain age, but I'm certainly not used to not just standing in line like everybody else.
1: Yeah. That's a different temperament altogether. So, Was the plan to stay in Spain long, longer term before the pandemic? Or is this like a pandemic-induced Spanish version of Stockholm syndrome Hmm. implied by a country?
0: So in 2012, I walked the Camino for myself. And I, I walked almost 60 days. And the very last village I walked into, which is here at the ocean, is the village I'm in now. And when I walked into that village, I said, someday I want to live here. And nine years later, here I am. So the idea was playing in my mind, but I have to say that when I when lockdown happened and I was here um, in one location and couldn't move around and really discovered I love being here, it's not all the toys of Spain that attracted me. It's something about the simple life here, even if you're just locked in a house.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's on my list. Um, I found out last yesterday that my, my mom, her dream is to go to Paris and spend some time. And I was like, mom, you're so close to retirement. Just go. She's like, who would I go with? I was like, take your sisters. Take, who cares? Just go. It'll be fine. But she lives in a, in a state of anxiety. Um, rightly so. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, for the topic today, no, you've you buried the lead. So, you've done new things since then. So, you started a publishing house not in just words sure. alone, you've, you've, you've put books out. Um, like, yes. so yeah. Talk a bit and on that. Cause I, there's I, a lot going on.
0: Well, there, it, the publishing house is called Shia Sophia house. Um, myself along with Nora Sophia, and we are an imprint of choir and it's just a great relationship with them. And so our niche in, in choir is that if you have a book that touches upon transformation on some in the wide avenue of transformation. Uh, we'd love for you to consider us as, as your publishing house.
1: Yeah. I've read, so. That, I, I think one, maybe two of your books in that, in that house. And, and yeah, it's a good, it's a good flavor. It's a different, it's a different flavor and I enjoy it. I enjoy it. So I didn't want to bury that lead because that is so a huge thing. Um, and you didn't it, bring it up
0: It it is a huge lead. And the other thing is that last December, I released a provisional copy of my book on the 13 days of Christmas. Um, And I'm now pushing to see if I can get a final edition out this year.
1: What's that got to be done by April, September to get everything bound and printed and shipped and where it needs to be?
0: Yeah, probably August. And so we're, I'm right on the razor's edge at this moment.
1: Mm, I said April. I meant August. I get mixed up with the two that are A's. But <laughs> I said April and September. But yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, uh, I just, I, I, I leave the middle of August to leave this year's Camino, which mm. for so long we weren't sure what was going to happen. But yes, in fact, uh, the Camino this year of 60 days is moving forward and we're now accepting applications for Camino 2022.
1: That's cool. That's cool that's good yeah a while back I remember the night that it was I sent you a message in in messenger and it talked about a, a conversation that I'd had with my daughter because someone had said something about baptism the way that you know eight and nine-year-olds do with a with with a different understanding of God which is totally fine and um, you had responded with the history of baptism there are just few people think they know as much as they should and you wish that theologians today would really research early Christianity's use to the ritual and how it's different from today, which for those listening, you should go back to the first, first time I spoke to you. I remember when we talked that time, it was close to Lent and you're like, I'm not prepared to talk about Easter because <laughs> of this, 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 and it's pageantry and it's, 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 it's not what it was. And I was like, time out. Can we go ahead and schedule a second one? And so this one gave me a similar feeling where I'm like, I don't. I don't know anything about the history of baptism. I, I don't. And um, I know my thoughts on it, but it doesn't mean that, yeah. that, that there's any context there. So I'd like to weave in and out of that because I would assume a lot of people like myself are equally as ignorant, because you know, if it's not on the 15 minute YouTube thing, then we, we just don't dig into it. And honestly, I started perusing books on baptism and outside of like reformed theology, there doesn't seem to be a lot on baptism except for a couple cursory surveys of the differences between immersion and sprinkling and all this different stuff. So there's a lot there. Where should we begin?
0: Okay. So I want to start by saying we have Christianity before the year 600 and we have Christianity after the year 600. And I just, that's sort of an arbitrary, but I'd like people to think of the Christianity up to 600 and after 600. And Early Christianity, which I'm talking about, is five or six hundred years. I mean, it's two and a half times the age of the United States. Um, it's an enormous sweep, sweep of time. Mm-hmm. But it is quite, it is so different from the Christianity that we think of today in every way possible. So I, I just I, I can't emphasize enough that. I mean, I, I think of the golden years of Christianity as being the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th centuries, where we were doing something that was unheard of in human history. And I really mean this, and I, I don't mean this to be uh, uh, to downplay or make any other religious tradition second class. Not at all. But Christianity was the first tradition that said it no longer matters who your mother was. No longer matters your bloodline. It no longer matters your economic status. It no longer matters whether you're free or slave. It no longer matters what part of the world you were born in. We've got a table, and you're welcome to come and to sit at that table as a brother and a sister with everybody else at that table. Now, if we think that that's a radical idea even today, go back 2,000 years ago. And I love my Lebanese tradition. Mm. But it also gives me a window into what the world of the Middle East was like all those centuries ago. My grandparents in that small mountain village, which was fairly isolated in Lebanon, would say they would look over the canyon and they would see the people in that village over there, which they probably had never visited. And they would say, "We don't know those folks. We don't know those folks."
1: Hmm.
0: As as much as we think about what what the shape of an alien, "quote unquote" alien is going to be when they make themselves known, I mean, it, the idea of in the Middle East two thousand years ago was every city, every village was its own. Yeah. And, and they would extend hospitality to the traveler. But that's not the same thing as inviting them to be a member of the village. Hmm. And, and along comes Jesus the Christ and early Christianity. And we throw open the doors and say, oh, no, we're, we're not just inviting people. We're not just extending hospitality we're inviting you to come and be a member of the family from all the world's diversity, from all the different thought systems and ideologies and philosophies and male and female. And I believe verities of sexual orientation, et cetera, et cetera. All of that we're inviting to the table as a brother and sister. Okay. But here's the kicker. It's great to have the vision of a table where people can sit as brother and sister. But how do you create the behavioral changes and the attitude changes that make that not just an idea, but make that an ongoing practice? That's where baptism comes in. Because before 600, before the year 600, baptism was not about membership. Baptism, for the first eons of Christian history, was equal to what today we call ordination. And in fact, today's ordination rite is the old baptismal rite before 600. Hmm. Because we took seriously the idea that we were a community of priests. And certainly the first step is to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah, But that's just the first step, and that's not what baptism was. Baptism was you come into that relationship, you accept the rigors of learning how to live pan-tribally, with all these people who are not like you and how to develop communion out of that. And you learn and commit yourself to your talents to give those to your family and to your community and to the wider world. And when all of that is done, then we baptize you. Then we pour the water.
1: I've never heard the thing of uh, juxtaposition between ordinational rites and, and baptismal rights. So what does ordination look like in the first 600 years versus so, now? Because that's that's right. not, yeah. Right.
0: So ordination was a very small step. So you've got a community which is formed, deeply formed, in the practices of being a communion at table. Yeah, they, they're, they're formed in a relationship with Jesus the Christ. That's a given. And then secondly, being a communion at table. And then thirdly, that you also understand what your talents are and your gifts that you have to offer to each other in the world. The priest is a small step forward as we understand that this individual or these individuals have the talent of convening such a group of people at table they actually are the priest to the priests hmm. Okay. but the whole equation shifts because we don't have somebody as we do today i'm, I'm not saying that, that this is a less than but in the early church you don't have somebody standing up giving a sermon on sunday the community is obligated to prepare themselves to share the word at that Sunday gathering with each other and there might be one or two people who are going to speak reflections that other people will, will uh, share yay and and back and forth because remember all of this is being built from the Jewish experience of Shabbat and on, on Shabbat you've got one person who gives a reflection but you've got the community who argues about it <laughs> And, and, I, and I really mean that arguing because that's an essential part for the Jewish people. No one person knows the truth. The truth is relational. And you need to have a whole range of people in the room so you've got different perspectives about what's being shared. Mm. And that my passion about what I see evokes your passion about what you see. Not that my passion should be the way you understand but use the energy of my passion to understand it in a very different way for yourself.
1: So the way that you're describing that to me, so I happen to go to a Baptist church, but one of the things our minister says all the time is you don't have to agree with me. I'm going to paraphrase him. You don't have to agree with me because Baptists believe in the priesthood of all believers. So just do the thing, just do the thing. It's, it's totally fine. Um, But it also sounds almost like a, so, so for, someone pre 600 to baptize someone is that a subversive act against the religious leaders of the day like is it what if you were like a, a rabbi or or whatever in the day and you're seeing other people do this and then assume a, a form of authority over what a word of god is um is that subversive is it heretical is it like what is the for contextual purposes like what would that be
0: and are you talking that governmental or religious
1: well i think most religions i think religions operate often like a government but um not so much against like against like rome or or something like that but more so against like um you know like against the the priest in the temple um in in the sanhedrin and that type you know what i mean like would would they look at that? And be like, no. What do you? No, you don't get to say anything. You haven't been trained. You don't get to just go in this water. And now you get to. Is it is this versative all, right. or would they not care?
0: Well, so so now you're. I need to make a further discrimination, which is um, to remember the year three twenty five. Okay. So we've got Christianity up to three twenty five, and then we've got three twenty five <laughs> to six hundred, and then we've got after six hundred. Okay. In three
1: twenty five
0: when the legal persecution of christians ended and christianity then became quote-unquote the state religion the tradition began to take on some of the trappings of government and as soon as you begin to take on some of the trappings of government you begin to develop sort of an in-group and an out-group and when you have an in-group and an out-group you have an enormous amount of fight (laughs) and, and disagreement so so you don't say the, quote, quote, unquote, the fourth, the fourth century is known as the heretical wars. And basically, um, what that meant is, is that Christianity was trying to figure out what's the wide middle. I, I, I like to think of Christianity in the fourth century is like somebody on the pummel horse at the Olympics. Um, how far can I bend to the left and how far can I bend to the right without falling off the horse?
1: Hmm.
0: That's what the that's my image for the heretical wars is, you know. On one hand, um, Christianity said you can't say that Jesus was just a good person, and on the other hand, you can't say that Jesus was just God. It's like how you hold that Jesus was both human and God together is a wide range, but you've got it. But Christianity's got to stay in that wide range hmm. and not fall off one way or the other. Yeah, But during that time, there was an enormous amount of argument. I oftentimes use the phrase that I learned when I worked out in the bayous of Louisiana, sadly, many, many, many decades ago when it was a, really a lovely place to be. But they, they got a saying out in the bayous, and I'm going to tell it to you like I heard it. <laughs> when, you're up to, when you're up to your ass in gator, you can't remember you came to drain the swamp.
1: <laughs> Just get away from the gator.
0: Well, yeah. So <laughs> the uh, up to 325, uh, Christians are running for their life. And we were doing what we had to do to stay alive and uh, serve the community. And then after 325, suddenly we had the luxury to start talking with communities that were far flung, and it's like, well, what do you believe? Well, what do you do on on Sunday? And 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 then this cacophony, which I think of as the gift of Christianity, all this diversity became known. But in in that becoming known, there was a sense of we probably need to norm the middle. Hmm. And that created an enormous amount of anxiety and frustration and and philosophical wars.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it seems like that still is the case. We haven't learned anything, right? Um, Yeah. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast the other day. Um, which I've become addicted to that I don't feel like advertising here, but I can tell you later if you want. And in it, it's a historical podcast. And um, he's like, the only history I've come to realize is true is humans don't learn anything from history. We just read about <laughs> it. But he's like, that's the only thing that I've come to see is true. So pre, you know, John the Baptist and, and Jesus, it, it feels like, cause there, there seems to be a baptismal right in the early church, but it seems to be more of a cleansing. Like, a, like, like this is a ritualistic, repetitive do this, do it again, do it again, laid with my wife too close to menstruation, I'm going to do it again, somebody passed away, do it again. But that doesn't appear to be the way that it seems to be afterwards, you know, the way that Mark talks about it, John talks about it, uh, You know the way that it's written about in Matthew, where it becomes yeah. a, a thing. So is this even Since the separate, same thing? Or are they two different baptisms? Like, there are two
0: different baptisms. And, and this is you know, just when we're reading the scriptures and we see the word baptism, there is almost nowhere in the scriptures where that word relates to what the second century Christians developed. So, first of all, let's remember what John the Baptist is doing is not Christian baptism. He's not baptizing Jesus into being Christian. He's offering the Jewish ritual of a mikvah bath, which is something that you can repeat over and over as a cleansing of oneself and a and an offering of oneself deeper to God. Mm-hmm. And the radicalness of John is many. Many people in those days are Jew- are doing the Jewish ritual of baptism, which, because at that point Judaism had taken on a lot of Greek uh, language, it changed the the ritual's name from a mikveh bath to baptism. And then three hundred years later, they changed it back to mikvah to make it clear that Jewish mikveh was not Christian baptism. All right, but John is baptizing people by taking them down into flowing water, the Jordan River. Everyone else in those days, and there are many, are doing baptism in the synagogue in a stone vessel with a a firm floor on Mm it. What is so upsetting about what John is doing is that John is taking people down into the element that the Jews considered as potentially the place which was the door to Sheol Mm. and where the demons lived. Mm. Flowing water to the Jewish people of the first century is an anathema. It's a taboo. You don't want to go near flowing water. You want rainwater. You want well water. But look at the Psalms, always praying for still water, Mm. but not flowing water. And why was that? There's two reasons for that. First, if you know the the flood story, well, we, we think of the flood as the vault over the earth opening up and the water's coming down. True. But if you read the text closely enough, you realize that the text says, and the vault underneath the earth opened and the waters came up. They came from both directions and mm. wiped everything away. Yeah. So when the Jews see flowing water, they're like, well, we can look up at the sky and make pretty sure that the vault overhead is firm. But is this, is the vault cracked? If I go down into flowing water, am I going to go out through that flowing water into shale? Hmm. Place of deep, 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 deep anxiety.
1: Huh.
0: And even if you if you read the text about coming out of Egypt and You know, Moses is standing there and Yahweh uh, removes the waters. The text says, like a wall of water to the left and a wall of water to the right. And then what does it say next? And the Jews walked on dry land. The Jewish people of that time had tremendous anxiety about flowing water. They wanted their feet on dry land. Hmm. So when John the Baptist, doesn't do the Jewish ritual back in the synagogue with a firm bottom, but is inviting people to go down into a place which is which they think is treacherous and dangerous. This is a whole new level of committing yourself to God.
1: Hmm.
0: And he's upsetting the religious authorities who are like, well, who told you you could do this? <laughs> where, where, John, where did you go to get the temple's good housekeeping seal of approval?
1: <laughs> Good housekeeping silver. <syllable. laughs> well, yeah. yeah!
0: Again, again, not, not that he's baptizing, but that he's, he's using flowing water, which is why early Christians, and we, we've totally lost this sense, why early Christians used flowing water to baptize was not because it was clean water, but because it was treacherous. Hmm. You go down in to a place unlike an emotional or spiritual death to live through that place and be raised by the power of God to live a wider life
1: hmm. I don't yeah again, we referenced earlier. Yeah. there were no books that I could buy that gave me any context and I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to chew on that quite a bit
0: Well um uh, yeah. the, the great one of the great more contemporary theologians of this is, a Benedictine named Aidan Kavanaugh who wrote a, one of the most magnificent books called *The Shape of Baptism*, and about how the baptism imagery is horrific. I'm going to buy that. And he and he reminds us that our that our the that in the early centuries um, our ancestors said to us to look at the baptistry you should be horrified hmm. because only with the eyes of faith would someone look at such horror and see new life.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna buy that today. I think that's two books that you made me buy this month, and it's <laughs> July. It's it's like July. It's like July eighth, and I've already had yeah. two. Um. Yeah. So zooming forward then yeah. Yeah. to today, how actually no another question. So if John was just taking people into the synagogues on the sly when people weren't, would it have been as subversive or would it would it would have been disrespectful? Would it have had any similar form of power or would they have not, like, you know what I mean? I hope that question makes sense.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, no, I don't think it would have that the, the power at all. Mm. Many, many, many people were leading Jewish people through a ritual of Bik, uh, mikvah bath. At, as every synagogue today has a place for a mikvah bath. Um, and so we have to constantly, when we're reading the scriptures, and, and now when I translate the scriptures, I stop using the word baptism. Because it's not, it's not baptism as we understand it in Christianity. It's a mikvah bath. Jesus is going down into the Jordan and receiving a mikvah bath from John.
1: Yeah. I kind of like, like the picture, thinking of baptism that way, as entering a, a live source and leaving a live source alive. Or entering a stale source and leaving the same, you know, just leaving wet. Maybe that's an oversimplification, but, but yeah, I kind of like, I like that. Time for a quick break. I'll be back in like a minute. Hang tight. We like
0: to be this old. So many songs still left unsung. Stories remain untold. But summer's coming and gone And the wind is
1: cold How did it get to be so late so soon? Flowers seem to fade before they even bloom Time is never running out And moving on I can't find a way to slow it down When it's gone, it's gone Did I let it slip away? So zooming forward to today, We've got 800 ways to baptize people. Like we baptize babies. We baptize, we sprinkle babies. We we dunk babies. We we don't do that. We have believer's baptism. We have whatever the Presbyterians do, whatever the Methodists do. I can't remember. So how did we get here? Like, because baptism means 20 different things to 20 different people. It's like trying to define the word evangelical. It means different things.
0: So let's go back again to this, you know, for, for easy speaking sake, the date of 600. Okay. The Germanic tribes of northern Europe have swept down to the outskirts of the city of Rome, and they are preparing to sack the city the next day. And the Pope, and in this moment I can't remember which Pope it is, goes out to meet them and makes uh, a tremendous bargain with them, which saves the city of Rome. Saves thousands of lives. But here's what happened. He said to them, If you will allow yourselves to be baptized and promise then, after you're baptized, to go through the process of accepting the disciplines of Christianity, we'll give you the keys to the city. Hmm.
1: No bullets fired. Well, there weren't any bullets, but...
0: No. So in that moment, the whole of baptism being a preparation for the priesthood at the table of everybody, after that moment, it became a a ritual of first profession of membership with the promise that I will further develop myself. And what happened is... Now we have two different levels of people at the table. We have the people who have gone through a deep personal transformation and understand their relationship with Jesus, have accepted the practices, have exhibited the grace of the practices, and know their role that they have to give the community. And then we have other people at the table who have simply promised first membership. Well, now we have a cultural moment happens. And that is the whole of the Roman Empire is gone. Much of Northern Europe is in chaos. And the church becomes the school, the police station, the hospital, the community center, the everything. Education is very limited. It's said that probably most priests were simply the only person in the village who could read and write a little bit. Mm. And... Everything in Christianity became the priest gets formed a little and everybody else gets formed a very little. And you begin a stratification, which ultimately ends the community, the the true community of the priesthood at the table.
1: So there's no inherent, I want to try to say this without a weight of offending anyone listening. It might not be possible. So many of my friends believe that without baptism, there is no being with God after we're done breathing. But that doesn't seem to be any of what you've described, um, enough so that some people you know, will, will baptize infants who aren't making a commitment to try to better themselves in a spiritual way. So how did we get back to, it, it feels like a new version of a ritual cleansing, but a one-time ultimate cleansing. How did we get back to that? Because what you're describing doesn't seem to match what many denominations do today.
0: So just to to further understand the early origins of baptism, baptism has a series of moments in it, which could go over two or three years. Mm. But from the first moment of baptism, which is you make a profession to be a follower of Jesus, That begins the process to two years later, when you have shown evidence that you know the practices and you know your talent, is when the waters are poured. All of that's baptism. And the early church called baptism of desire as the fundamental root of the entire process. And without the baptism of desire, there was no real baptism. Hmm. Because there's no commitment of one one's heart to live in a certain way. The early church also understood that there was no need, spiritual need to baptize an infant. Mm-hmm. Because if the parents are truly alive Christian, just not just nominally Christian, but if the parents are true practicers practitioners of the tradition the child is bone of bone blood of blood flesh of flesh and spirit of spirit so the church would baptize the child not because they were concerned about where the child was going to go if it died but recognizing that the child of two people who are truly practicing Christians, can be nothing but, you know, we can make their own decisions when they grow up. But if your household is steeped in the ways of the Christian tradition, that child is going to be given Christianity in the same way that you've given the child its DNA. Mm. So there was no sense in the early church of, quote-unquote, original sin and concern about where the child was going if the child died. There was the reality that a child born to Christian parents is Christian in the womb. Hmm.
1: Hmm. So I might be stretching this way too far, but I saw a joke the other day about John Piper and Abraham Piper. I don't know if you're familiar with either of those. Um, mm-hmm. So John Piper is a, I want to I put this very plainly, a horrible non-loving person from everything that I can see. Like he just seems to intentionally spew hate and use the Bible as a sacred weapon. Um, his son, he excommunicated from his own church because his son has expressed doubts and he walked away and said, dad, I'll come back. And he welcomed him back, which great. And then he walked away again. And so someone the other day had said, but how do we then deal with this section in Titus that says to be an elder or a leader in the church, your kids have to be showing fruit or you can't be an elder or leader because what are you doing? And to hear you explain baptism in that way almost feels, and maybe I'm reverse litmus testing this in, of we can see what the children are doing later. This kid doesn't seem to be doing what we would ex, what we would expect, so I wonder if the parents were actually what we thought. Maybe I'm stretching that in ways it isn't intended to be just because the joke is still in my head. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I am. I don't know.
0: Well, no. I mean, I, I do think you're stretching it in a way it's not intended to be. <laughs> And I have to honestly say that I'm, that's my hope. <laughs> what, I, what, I, what I think we miss is that Christianity in those first two centuries is a maelstrom trying to become this tradition which welcomes everyone. And the polemic is not so much about pagans. The polemic is about people who believed that they have the only way to God, which every pagan tradition believed. They were not traditions at that point in their history where they were welcoming converts. Mm. If you belonged to a tradition of your village, or if you were a worshiper of Dionysus, etc., they saw their God or their goddess as having limited powers. Why the heck am I going to ask my God or goddess? To be your God or goddess, that's going to diminish what they have for me. Mm. Mm. And when we're trying to form a new way of understanding God, which is a God of abundance, a God of generosity, and a God of inclusion, there's a horrible uh, anguish about norming this new experience.
1: Did not know that about scarcity of power for like a Dionysus. Did not know that at all. Sorry to interrupt there. It's yeah. just, know, yeah. yeah.
0: But I mean, this is why is Paul in vain so heavily against pagans? It's because of their tribalism. The great hallmark of Jesus the Christ is this understanding that all people are brother and sister, which Judaism has, which Hinduism had to some degree at that point. Nobody, nobody had yet gone to the next step, which is to say, and we've got a room where all that world's diversity can sit with each other as brother and sister. Mm. That's just folly. Mm. To think that we can move from separate but equal to equal around a common table.
1: Huh? That's separate but equal made my mind spin in a different way trying to figure out a way to 14th amendment scripture of all humans equal and, and just under the, under the, I'm not saying that right. I can't remember what the, either way I'm stretching that again in ways, probably unintended, but.
0: I mean, I, I love my Jewish brothers and sisters. I, if I were not Christian, I would be Jewish. Um, and I totally admire the sense of how they understand the equality of all people before God. Mm. But Judaism is not, quote unquote, evangelical um, in the sense of wanting people to join them.
1: Yeah. 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 There's no proselytizing.
0: And, right. Yeah, which Christianity is one of the first, quote unquote, proselytizing traditions because we understand that all humanity can sit. Together with brother and sister. But it can't just be an idea. It's gotta be a practice that we learn how to do. And that was an essential part of a long preparation of baptism.
1: Hmm. Mm. Mm. I want to shift gears. Which no, right? no, go ahead. No, 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 which what? Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, which, which I think is the, the piece of Christianity that we have um that we have lost today. Um, we have lost the ability about how to hold diversity of ideology, diversities of theology, diversities of of socioeconomic condition, diversities of sexual orientation, etc. And 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 we are trying to make churches that are ideologically the same mm. rather than saying we are the place where diversity can learn to be brother and sister.
1: Mm. Yeah, I'm glad that you went and go. I'm glad, glad that you kept going. Yes, um, yes, amen, 100% of that, yes. Where I was switching gears, that segues to brilliantly. So same two questions I've been asking everyone for the bulk of this year. The first one is just to play on the rhetorical question of the name of the show, because why not? What should Christians, humans, not necessarily ministers, be concerned with being able to speak about in our congregational bodies? And if we don't, we'll, we'll just explode faith communities. What should we be allowed to talk about? Or should we be intentionally talking about in our
0: churches? We should talk about anything as long as we can learn how to talk about it with respect. Yeah, I'm very sad to say that I think that this is a core Christian practice, but I didn't learn it in Christianity. I learned it in psychology, and I learned it in sitting with men's groups, etc., that when you're sitting in a men's group and there's a great amount of disagreement and tension that comes into the room over what's being discussed, the facilitator will ask us to go out and chop wood together or chant or drum or to to do something that allows us to hold the energy and see each other as brothers. And then we come back into the discussion and discover the discussion has gone to a deeper level.
1: Hmm.
0: That we we don't that that in a, that in the men's group and this is utterly utterly foundational to Christian community that we do not try to resolve it by giving a right answer. We try to resolve it by the community finding a way to harmonize diversity.
1: Hmm. With axes, you want to take tension and let people chop wood with axes. I'm just, I'm just playing a little bit. Yeah. Everybody's heightened and anxious. You must give them all axes. Now I'm, I'm, I'm teasing a bit, but it, it makes me laugh. Yeah, I realize I've been waiting to ask you this question in a, recorded, in a recorded way for years now that I get to ask you. So when you try to wrap words around what God is, what do you say to them?
0: Um, I I'm gonna uh, paraphrase Rob Bell on this one. Uh, he really said it to me. That the best that I found the way to say it is that God is the hum or the melody that's going on in every cell of the cosmos, and that hum or that melody that's going on in every cell of the cosmos. It's, it's in the cosmos, but it's transcendent. There's a reality that, that the hum refers to. Hmm.
1: I heard someone recently give an answer to that question inadvertently. It's an old YouTube interview of, uh, I think it's Conan O'Brien or maybe Stephen Colbert hmm. and Keanu Reeves of all people. And they got existential about John wick, which is a movie. I don't know if you've watched any of those or not. Um, I've only watched the first one, um, but he asked him, what happens when we die? And all Keanu Reeves said was, I don't know, but I know that the people that love us miss us tremendously. And for yeah. some reason, that feels godly to me. Like it feels divine. The hum kind of calls that same memory to my to my mind. Where do you want people to go to do the things that they should be doing as it relates to the work that you're doing?
0: Great question. So in the last year and a half, over the over this time of pandemic, we have really uh, tightened, refined, and my word made radiant the process of Heart and Mind Community, which is about 18 months of spiritual formation as using the book Radical Transformation and the paperback edition of Heart and Mind as a way to learn these spiritual practices of the map, the journey, and especially how we hold diversity in a certain way until it opens up as a vibrant party.
1: So how do people get there and do that?
0: Go to the go to our website, uh, <laughs> quadratus.com. Yeah. Uh, and then up in the uh, right-hand corner, you'll see a tab that says communities. Uh, click on communities. And, uh, and then you will see heart and mind community. You'll also see walking uh, Spain's community there, I mean, uh, Spain's Camino. Uh, All the various spiritual practices that you can be part of uh, to learn uh, and to reform and to to make more vital today, new form of Christianity.
1: Yeah, I've realized, so for those listening, I'll link it somewhere. That may have been the last time that we spoke. So I was involved in a Heart of Mind community that I had done online just because of everybody being geographically spread out across the continent. And I remember the four of us, me, you, Daryl, Danielle, and Jim. Um, the five of us having a conversation about the impact of being in that community. So for those listening, if you kind of want to know here a biased view of what it was for me, um, you should go back and listen to that one. So, so yeah, Alexander, it's always a joy.
0: I mean, I really want people to know there's a map and knowing a map is not the same thing as walking it, but dad Gummet, I don't want to go on a journey without a map. <laughs> and then, and then secondly, there are some key early Christian practices which we can restore today, which will open Christianity as a radiant heart. It was intended to be. And if any of that touches you, please go to the website, look at what we're doing, find it through us, find it somewhere. But Christianity is in better shape today than it's been in a couple of hundred years. And it's only going to get better.
1: My friend, I have enjoyed your time. My morning, your My afternoon, morning. very much. So thank you so much for coming back. Appreciate it.
0: Uh, Always, yeah. thank you. We're made for
1: each other in the image of love. You and me made for each other in the You made it this far, you're at the end. Thank you. Now the show is produced by the patrons of the show a little bit by the ads but mostly by the patrons of the show and i wanted to welcome Meshi michelle there to the community thanks for being here over the last few months we've lost a few patrons but it looks as though it's because cards have expired so if that's something you still want to do and you're like huh i haven't seen any of the emails yet in a while from the show check on that if you are able join in jump in over there be part of the community I would be ever thankful. If you can't, I get it. Times are tough for a lot of people. It's a crazy world that we live in. Just share the show on social media, but just send it out. Let me know how things are going and maybe share one of your favorite episodes. It's one of the best ways that the show can grow. Either way, I'm glad that you listened today. A special thanks to Remedy Drive for the use again of their music in this week's show. I will talk with you in a week. Be blessed, everyone.